Hello and welcome to Extraordinary Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. I look back on the early days and I just think I just, something just took over inside me and I just I was just driven to, one, get the crop in because because that was our livelihood and I wasn't going to lose this farm. I just wanted to continue Gavs in my dream and, and realise, you know, it was just never an option. I was never going to not, not get it to work. Happy Thursday and good morning. Well, good morning. Good morning. So for this episode, we headed out to a property near Rowena, an area renowned for its black soil and rich farming country. The town there is tiny. It's got a pub, a man called Neville who operates his own diesel pump out of his backyard and it's home to around 150 residents. After many missed turns, some mud driving, it was just bucketing down with rain. It was overcast. We couldn't take the plane so we decided to take the four wheels. We turned into a property called Beethoven. Yeah, and this property literally had thigh-high wheat for as far as the eye could see. And it was here we met Terry Wheeler, her daughter Sarah, beer in hand, ready to sit down and have a chat. Terry is a former air hostess and she dabbled in the world of modelling in Melbourne before meeting a farmer, getting married and raising her own family. Terry told us of her story of meeting Gavin Dubbo and it just made my heart crumble. It, it, was, it was love at first sight. Yeah, it was. She ended up marrying Gav quite quickly and they relocated to the region of Rowena where they settled on an 11,000 acre property. But 10 years ago, disaster struck and Terry lost Gav, leaving her and the girls to run the property alone. This isn't a story about loss and sadness, but more so resilience and how one woman finds the inner strength to continue her and Gav's shared dream. This is... Terry Wheeler. Good evening, Terry and Sir. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolute pleasure. It's beautiful out here in Rowena, driving in to see the crops and stuff. It's stunning. What have you got planted? We've got wheat, chickpeas and barley. So, yeah, we've had a fantastic start. We had, um, you know, a really big fall of rain in February between a 9 and 11 inches, which our annual is usually around 18, so gave us almost a full moisture profile. So we were able to start sowing in April. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about, I guess, how you ended up out here? You were originally yeah. from Dubbo and then went to Melbourne. Tell yeah. us a bit about your childhood. Well, yeah, I grew up in Dubbo. We always lived in town. I'm one of four children, the eldest. And um, I always, you know, loved horses. We were lucky enough, mum and dad bought us a horse when we were little and had that in our backyard and uh, through an accident that my dad had, he was dragged by a horse when I was about 10. We ended up putting that horse out of town on an adjustment property and I ended up going to work for the lady. Um, She gave me lessons in return for some stable work. So I did that after school and I did that until I was about 17, 18. And when I finished school in Dubbo, I just couldn't wait to get out and go to the big smoke. So (laughs) I uh, left and went to Sydney and then I just decided I'd go to Melbourne and try Melbourne. So I was there for about five years. Can you tell us what you did in Melbourne? 
I wanted to be a Qantas flight attendant and um, I applied three times. Each time I got to the third interview and I just never got any further and I can remember <laughs> driving home from the airport bawling my eyes out <laughs> thinking that the world was coming to an end and um, when you've got your heart set on something and you just get that far all the time, you just... Um, you know, a bit hard to take at the time, but it's all for a reason. So yeah, and you're a model yeah. as well. You dabbled in. Yeah, a bit I of did a little bit of modelling back then, and you know, it was really a lot of fun. But the work is spasmodic, and the incomes you've got to work nights in you know pubs and clubs to support yourself. And so yeah, that was an interesting time. But you know, had a you know interesting life, which has been pretty varied. <laughs> and what what brought you back to Dubbo? My sister was getting married in 1991 and she just convinced me to come home and I I just sort of, you know, I've had my 5 years down in Melbourne, I'm ready to have a change, so I decided to move home. And then a couple of months later I went to the Dubbo races and I met Gab, my husband. Yeah, it was instant attraction. I was looking at him and he was looking at me, but we didn't actually <laughs> realize, you know, I thought he was looking at somebody next to me and, you know <laughs> anyway so then that night we all decided to go to one of the pubs in Dubbo for dinner and he he happened to follow us there and that's when we really got chatting and and realized that you know I had a definite connection with him he did with me and yeah we sort of started a long distance relationship uh, he was living in come by chance at the time he was on a farm there and I was living back at home with mum and dad yeah, so I, I was in Dubbo and I just decided that I still wanted to be an air hostess. So I decided to apply for Hazelton's Airlines in Orange, yeah, Kidal, yeah. and I got in. Oh. And so I, I thought, I just met this guy, he's the man of my dreams, but I wasn't going to put my life on hold for a boy. So I decided to take the job and so I was transferred to Orange. Uh, it was a great job. And then, yeah, a year after we were going out, Gav proposed. Only and, a year. Uh, yeah, well, after a year. Oh, yeah, I know. And um, of course, I said yes. And this all happened at the Beef and Bourbon in Kings Cross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> find a better place, really. But, so um, you met at a pub, and, and he, he proposed, proposed in a pub. pub. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually quite romantic. It doesn't sound it, but it really was. We were down for the Royal Easter Show. Oh, and I'd never been to the Royal Easter Show before, so it was pretty um, lovely and wonderful. And yeah. What was it that attracted you to Gavin, oh, I guess, the first place? We just sort of got along so well straight away. It was just like talking to an old friend, really. And I always said to him, you know, he it felt like he was from another time. He was, he just felt like he'd... He'd been there before. Yeah, he'd been here before. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but we just clicked. And I just knew straight away, basically, within the third day of meeting him, I, I knew he was the one for me. I, I'd never said it to myself before, but... This time I said, oh, my God, he's the one. He's here. And um, I just hoped he felt the same way about me. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you go kind of being a city girl and coming? Because out here it's quite isolated. Driving out here we Um, couldn't really get over it, could we? It was, yeah. yeah. I don't know, I just fell in love with the land and the wide open spaces. And the isolation has never been an issue. It's, It's something that I've actually always loved, really, so... Yeah, no, it's it's just it's just a beautiful area. It's open and it's flat and the community is just amazing. I've got the most beautiful friends here, neighbours. 
I just wouldn't want to live anywhere else, really, yeah. As well as being yeah. a mother, yeah. did you also help out on the farm when Gav was around? Yeah, well, I did. Like, you know, I actually used to do a bit more before the girls were born, like on the header and and that. But once I was pregnant with the girls, I was sort of mainly at home and, and Gav was out in the paddock and, you know, we had a few different employees as well. So, But we always talked about what was going on on the farm. We always knew what was going on and what we were sowing and I'd always ask lots of questions and he was wonderful. He was always, you know, trying to teach me as much as he could because I'd always... Wanted to know. Always want to know, yeah. You're always interested in why you do this and why you do that. and So you're intrigued by the land. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah I've, always, I've always had an interest in it. And now for the past 10 years you've yeah. been doing it by yourself. Yeah, well, tragically Gav passed away the 7th of March 2010 and... You know, that year I just basically followed his plan, what he had planned to do and, you know, with the help of employees that we had here at the time, we, we got the crop in the ground and and it basically just became a really wet year. Like, the crops were amazing. It was nothing like he'd probably ever seen. They were just phenomenal. And then just almost before harvest. We managed to start getting our wheat and our barley off and then we just got this rain and it just didn't stop raining and ended up with a massive flood and it flattened 5,000 acres of chickpeas. And Oh, wow. So that was my introduction to farming was um, a big wet year, a big wet harvest. I don't mean to skip a beat. but That's okay. Um, and I'm sorry, like, you don't have to answer this question. Mm-hmm. It's quite personal. Can you kind of take us back to the day when Gav passed away? What happened? Well, it was uh, Sunday and, uh, yeah, he was working on our gooseneck. We were actually going to take it to Dubbo to have some work done to it. And it, he seemed fine that day. I, I, I didn't really notice anything different except one of our girls, the Jess, she had a really high temperature and I was really worried she was sick and we couldn't work out why she was so sick and at the time the swine flu was around and I I was convinced that she'd had that. And so, yeah, during the night he got up to go to bed and um, he just wasn't feeling very well and I was doing the dishes in the kitchen and he came out and he was just wringing wet with sweat. It was was like you'd hosed him with a hose and, and he just said he had heartburn and yeah, I just knew something was wrong and he did too. And so he went out, got the car out of the garage and I got the two youngest girls out of bed. Well, at the time we actually thought that maybe he was getting whatever Jesse had, like, but mm. but he knew something was wrong enough to get this checked out. But we'd actually had a bit of rain that day and um, he was a really good mud driver and I was a novice. Anyway, so we started our journey and we had to go the long way to Collie, which is probably a 50k drive instead of a 35k drive. And um, we only got down to our mailbox, which was like 2k's down the road. And he said, could you go any faster? And then I got about another 10k's down the road and he said it was a lot wetter there than than what it was at home. And, and then he just had this... Con- sort of a seizure in the car and you know I just didn't know what was happening I thought he was just joking but I realized that he wasn't joking and I stopped the car and it was dark and we we couldn't get anybody on the two-way and and we didn't have a phone that was working at the time because my phone was in getting repairs 
and we dropped his phone and it went under the seat. We couldn't find it and there was all these cattle on the road and there was just so many things that were against us that night. And so I tried resuscitating him. I, I didn't really fully know to tell you the truth whether he was breathing or not. It's really hard to know in the dark when, when someone's in the passenger seat. It was all just a panic. So I kept driving and I got into Merry Winebone, which was like a 25k drive from our place. But I'd stopped a number of times to see if I could do something. We got to Merry Winebone and some friends came to help us and they pulled him out of the car and started CPR. And then in the dilemma, like I'd tried on the two-way and I think that's how my neighbours heard me on the two-way and they organised an ambulance. But then the ambulance got lost on the way that night as well and it just all conspired against us. There was just so many things that, that just went wrong really and the ambulance did arrive at Mary Winebone and we, they were working on him and and my neighbour drove the ambulance. I don't know whether I should tell you this or not. Yes. <laughs> he drove the ambulance while the, they worked, worked on, on him. him. Yeah, so and then we got to the hospital and... They just said he didn't make it. And, you know, you just don't think all of a sudden everything was fine and everything just wasn't fine. So I know our world just fell to pieces basically that night. So Having the responsibility mm. as a mother moving on from there as a single parent, mm. I guess, with such a big responsibility looking after the farm, how did you get on day from day? Was that in your mind or you just totally, obviously for a while you would have blocked it out? Yeah, I don't know. I, I look back on the early days and I just think I just, something just took over inside me and I just I was just driven to, one, get the crop in because that was our livelihood and I wasn't going to lose this farm by not making it work. So and I, I just wanted to continue Gavs and my dream and, and realise, you know, he loved it, he lived, breathed it, I loved it. It was just never an option. I was never going to not, not get it to work. So. And now we're sitting yeah. here today in this stunning house yeah. and driving in and the crops look insane. Yeah. You've done really well and you were telling us earlier that all your girls were home for sewing. Yes, it's been a really hard slog for 10 years. We've had oh, five or six years of drought and 2010, you know, we had the flood and 2011 we had a, a wet harvest and 2012 it was actually a, a half decent year which was good and then 13, 14, 15 back into drought and then 16 was a fantastic year and it just got us back on our feet basically. So this year, yeah. 2020, yeah. you've got a full crop, is that right? And all the girls are home yeah. helping with spraying yeah. and it's pretty cool. Yeah, 2020 we had this amazing subsoil moisture and partly due to COVID as well, like two of the girls were able to come home and, yeah, we got in and the girls hadn't really driven the tractors much prior to that. We had a wonderful neighbour come down and taught the girls how to drive the tractors and we had rotating shifts so we all just took three shifts each but we were always out there for more than eight hours. It would go into 10 or 12 hours each by the time you clean out the machine and reseed and fuel up and 
squeeze it and treat the seed and and check for any breakdowns you know you're always out there for hours more than what you know you plan what you bargained for yeah, yeah. and how yeah. do you feel looking out and knowing that you and your girls oh, did that it's amazing I I just can't believe that we actually did it you know you just take pride in what you do and you, you want to get it done properly and and we did we we managed to you know really do it without any major issue really except for Oh, then one night I actually got it bogged because we, we bogged it in a board drain. <laughs> I bogged it in a board drain, but um, my neighbour Phil came down and we pulled it out with two more tractors. So that was a pretty big effort and got going again. And then we had a f- one flat tyre, which caused us a fair bit of grief because it just happened late in the afternoon. We, had, we couldn't get it off and... And um and that night we couldn't get the tie guys to come out and so we ended up having that night off. So basically we had two two nights where That's incredible. we just didn't keep going but the rest mm-hmm. of it was full on, yeah. Do you ever think the Gav's looking down and being like, That's my girls, this yeah. is what maybe, you know, they're destined to, to do? Yeah, I think he'd be so proud of all the girls. You know, the girls are always going to be involved in the farm, you know. He he always mm-hmm. would have involved them. It, it was just that they were just starting to become involved in the farm it was just unfortunate timing that's all that you know our life changed so dramatically so moving forward I guess what's hopes for um you and the girls living here especially harvest coming up as well yeah joint venture again well I'm lucky I've got my beautiful Sarah here to help with harvest this year so um, so she'll probably be more than likely drive a chaser bin and my other daughter, Jessie, she'll drive another chaser bin and my eldest daughter, Emily, she's driven the header before so we have our own header and I have a couple of contractors coming and I have some people here at the moment as well and we've got two trucks so they'll drive um, two other trucks and we, we put a lot of our grain on bunkers now so a lot of it will go get put down on the, the bunker which is another massive job really sort of getting it down, getting the tarps on, making sure it's secure, protected by the weather and then it's a big job picking it up again when you go to sell it. It's Um, pretty inspiring. It really is. Just listening to you talk, I'm just like, wow. You know, it's interesting. Every every harvest, every every year, every sowing that I have now done, every year is different. It, It presents new challenges. You're learning new things all the time. You different bugs to mm. to contend with mice frost it's it's just incredibly interesting life and I feel like Gav would be so proud though yeah oh I hope so I think he would be I think he's you know he's definitely looking over us isn't he and, yeah just he always used to say yeah. to me when I was really little please come home to me <laughs> please come home and work on the farm yeah and oh. like now we're all here and we're doing it Sarah was the last daughter to talk to him before he died that night so and that's what he said well he didn't say that that night but I can remember growing up and him saying that to me yeah because I always just used to get my little lunch box out and I'd go out in the paddock with him and jump on the tractor and I'd sit on his lap and steer the tractor or the header Mm -hmm. and you know, we always did that and mum would always be like, can you please bring Sarah back now <laughs> over the two-way? <laughs> and I'm like, no. Um, used to go on the truck with him. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'd go on the truck with yeah. him. And, and you came back. Yeah. Are you going to stay, stick around? I think I will for a little while, yeah. Now with COVID especially, I've come back out to home and I've kind of fallen in love with being back out here. Yeah. Very easily, easy to. It's, it's stunning out here. Yeah, it's a beautiful country. Sunsets are amazing. Yeah. 
But it's just such beautiful dirt. I mean, you know, it can go through all this, you know, drought where there's not a blade of grass anywhere. And then you get this amazing rain and it all regenerates and the soil just hangs on to the moisture for so long. I mean, that's just how special it is, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much yeah. for chatting with thank us. You. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Absolutely. We've loved it. taking the time. You're no. the most extraordinary story I've yeah. heard from <laughs> flying around and interviewing everybody. I think it's amazing. Lucky buggers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, you haven't seen our office work. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the nice version yeah. of it. We get into the office and we're like, who's going to have a tantrum today? <laughs> <laughs> we're both Aries, actually. So yeah. someone okay. chucks a tantrum. <laughs> Every day there's a tantrum. Yeah. Oh, I've chucked a few lately. <laughs> It's been a couple. It's a bit tiring. (laughs) No, thank you very much. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you and thanks for listening to our story. When we left Beethoven and the Wheeler family, I honestly couldn't get over the profound impact Terry's story had upon me. Yeah, and I guess it did for me too. It wasn't until we were driving home. It was the middle of the night There was no phone signal. It was 100 kilometres to the nearest fuel station. That's when the enormity of the whole situation and where we were situated really hit home for me. It is, it's really isolated out there. It is, but look at what her and her family have done. Mm -mm. Thank you, Terry Wheeler, for having us and sharing your story. And if you want to find out more about the Wheeler's journey, Sarah has written an article for the Rural Women's Day magazine, which will be out in the coming weeks. This is Outback Stories. This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney. Music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages.